Lab talk with Laura. Listen, I implore ya. Won't never bore ya. Lab talk with Laura. Always more in story. Lab talk with Laura. Welcome to the 31st episode of Lab Talk with Laura. Today I am joined in the studio by Trisha Sirio. She is a professor of biochemistry and molecular biology here at UMass and also the dean of the College of Natural Science. Uh, she's originally from Belleville, New Jersey and got her PhD in molecular biophysics and biochemistry at Yale University in 1997. And her research is aimed at understanding how proteins change their 3D shape and how those shapes are replicated and lead to disease. Thank you for joining us, Trisha. Hi, Laura. Thanks for having me. Joining us on the phone is a collaborator of Trisha's, Suzanne Cindy. She's an associate professor of applied mathematics at UC Merced. Yeah. Merced, yeah. Merced. Um, she's originally from Placentia, California. Did I say that right? Placentia? You did. You got that. Placentia, yep. Okay. Um, and she got her PhD in applied mathematics and scientific computation at the University of Maryland in 2006. And she works with Trisha using computer simulations to understand how protein shapes replicate. Um, joining us, Very Mike. Good. <laughs> Great. Good. I'm glad I got that all right. What am I in right <laughs> We're going to dive in. We're going to dive in. Don't worry. Super cool. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, God. Um, and then joining us, my co host today is comedian Ange Buxton. Um, Ange is a public school English teacher, a comedian. Um, they host the uh, an open mic at Hawks and Reed the first and third Tuesdays of every month. Sounds sick. Something like that. Oh, is it the second and fourth? I don't know. That's, <laughs> that's a question for the mathematician. Yeah. Double check on it's that before you go. Okay. Definitely first and third. I, I'm going to go with whatever she said. <laughs> and um, and they also have a mixtape on Spotify. Definitely worth checking out. It's called Bucks Wild. Yeah, boy. <laughs> um, thank you for joining us. Thanks. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Okay, so I think we're going to jump in, and maybe we'll start with Trisha because you're here in the studio. Um, maybe explain your research to us. Um, so, so we work on these things that are called prions, and most people know about the diseases they cause, like mad cow disease in cattle and Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, or CJD in humans. And they arise because uh, a protein that's in our bodies all the time changes its shape. And when it does that, it has the ability to sort of join up with each other and make a big aggregate, and that kills cells in the brain. And that leads mm -hmm. to neurodegeneration and ultimately death. So these diseases are incurable and fatal. Wow. Okay. It, sorry, that was very somber. <laughs> no, um, no. <laughs> but, yeah, but, but we have uh, a happy story. Yes, but we have, we have a happy, happy story about, about it. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, okay, yeah. so <laughs> proteins changing shape yeah. and joining forces together. Yeah. In kind of like an Avengers end war on your brain kind yeah. of way. Okay. Yeah, and I have a, since you're an English teacher, I have a literary correlate, which is Ice Nine from Vonnegut's Cat cr Cat's Cradle. Oh, whoa. So uh, it's basically the the protein form of Ice Nine. Oh, wow. If that helps. Yeah. That's a pretty specific <laughs> reference, but I yeah. really like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm like, I can't wow, talk about okay, this a lot. that's really interesting. Um, yeah, should we talk about ICE-9? I don't know if we should jump back to the prions or if we should go into what ICE-9 is. Um, I mean, it, 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 it could go either way. I mean, the way that I think about it, so as a, as a mathematician, right, and, like, um, as somebody that, um, I mean, I, it, it's true. Like, I did not, I only took one 
biology class in college. I was only required to take one, right? And so one of the things that is interesting about um, being in the position I am as like a mathematical biologist is you have to learn a lot of biology, which I've realized is actually pretty cool. So the way that I think about it is that when the proteins misfold, right, they become kind of like these Lego bricks that you can like stack together. Mm -hmm. And then the Lego bricks can make other normal protein, which is whatever, maybe just like a, whatever, like a loofah or something that you wash yourself with in the shower, change shape to like this this Lego brick, and then they can all stack on, and the stacking on is uh, is not so good. Oh, that's the least comfortable loofah you could pro possibly use. It is, yeah. <laughs> Lego loofah. Yeah. I know. I, I struggle to think of a thing that's like a protein, and I fail. So uh, <laughs> I think another way that I describe what we do is, um, so I knit. And I like to think of it like that. If you think about the yarn as a protein, right, I could take that yarn and knit it into a hat, right? And the hat does a certain job, which is keep your head warm, right? But then if I get sick of the hat, I can unravel it and knit it into a pair of gloves, and that has a different function. And that's exactly what these proteins are doing inside the cell. When they're in the hat form, they're normal and people are healthy. And when they're in the mitten form, they're abnormal, and that's what leads to disease. And what Suzanne and I try to work on is to understand what makes you a hat or a mitten and can we shift it. Okay, so what makes yeah. those proteins fold up? So yeah, they're, they're exactly. folding, right? They're folding, but, exactly. Okay, so what do they, is there like a shape that the proteins normally have? Like trying yep. to kind of make mm -hmm. a picture, what does it look like? Can you describe it? Um, so we don't have good atomic level models of what mm -hmm. these proteins look like because they are conformationally flexible. So the techniques that are generally used to look at protein structure require them to be stably in one shape or another. Ah. And because these things switch, we don't have a really good idea at the atomic level what they look like. Oh. But when they're in the, the misfolded or disease-associated form, they make these long um, polymers. So they're, they're these really beautiful long structures that almost sort of look like hair, but they're at the microscopic level. So they're okay. just linear and they can go on forever. Yeah, cool. that's really interesting that they you don't know what the shape is normally. Exactly. Right. I would have thought that that would be like, I mean, again, I don't know much about biology yeah. either. <laughs> the hats are a mitten, the yeah. two genders. Yeah. <laughs> there, there are actually many genders, if you're going to yeah. use that analogy. Right. There's many shapes that oh. can have. Yeah. I agree. I like where that's gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, um, so do you focus in on a specific protein, or are you focusing more on the process? So in, in my lab, we study these proteins in baker's yeast um, for a couple of reasons. One is that they grow really quickly. Um, and two, we can do all kinds of experiments on them because they're single cells. So we can do microscopy, we can do biochemistry, we can do molecular biology. So we can ask all different kinds of questions. Um, and that's much harder to do if you use a, a whole animal. Wow. Um, and so we do a lot of our work on this protein that's called SUP35. Um, and we're basically trying to get at how these, all these acrobatics happen that change from one shape to one of the other shapes and and Suzanne does that uh, in a mathematical model on the computer and we try to get them to match up okay so what we're seeing in the lab right and, and Suzanne oh. uh, tries mm -hmm. to model it and and very often yeah. uh, that reveals a gap like okay we're doing this in the lab and and Suzanne models it and it looks like there's something missing okay. and then 
she'll say, looks like there's something missing. And then we try to figure out where it is or, or the other way around. And she, um, I, I think that's one of the things that I think is amazing about this collaboration because it's so integrated and works together. You know, sometimes we find things missing, sometimes Suzanne does, and then we work together to try to bridge that gap. And we always learn something new, and I would argue things that we didn't expect to see. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I, I totally agree. It is, um, I think like with all research, you spend a fair amount of your time being like somewhat confused, right? <laughs> so you'll, you'll, you'll try to figure something out. And the way that I think about mathematics, and I know um, that probably many people who are listening to this are not that big of fans of mathematics. I'm going to like make a bet on that. But I'm going to go ahead and say that Math is really cool, and, and here's why. Because it, it is, math is, is precise, right? It's very structured, and what I do um, or try to do with, with mathematical models and, you know, me and my, and my students is we try to take all the things the biologists believe are happening. Like, we think that this interacts with this, and we think that this interacts with this. And then we put it into a mathematical model of some kind so it's the purest most theoretical thing we try to eliminate all the things you know that can happen um all the complexities and then we try to see does does it match and usually the first thing you try doesn't and that means that there's usually something that you're missing i mean okay sometimes maybe you've made an error but let's assume we figured that out um and then in trying to figure out why things aren't matching right that's where the the knowledge is because then you know, maybe I try something um, on the computer or with my equation, something that is really hard for Trisha and her lab to do, but I can do it, right, because it's just a computer. It's really easy to get them to do, you know. There's no yeast I, I involved. I don't... <laughs> no yeast involved, right? There's no yeast involved. You just try it. And if it seems like that gets us closer to what's happening, then maybe it suggests an experiment mm -hmm. that they can do, or maybe it suggests, like, a different idea. Wow. Um, so it's really like both, um, both groups have to talk to each other mm -hmm. a lot. And one of the things I tell, I mean, everybody, but, like, about getting involved in, like, something interdisciplinary like this is you have to get super, super comfortable, like, asking what seem like really, really obvious questions, right? Like My students so are I really comfortable with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I guarantee that when Trisha and I started working, like, I, I don't know that I would have understood that yeast, like, is not, say, a bacteria. Oh, my goodness. Now I know they're totally different. But right, like Wait, you not. know, just very. <laughs> Should we go right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to explain that? <laughs> what, okay, what, yeah, what I want to hear what, you explain what do you, the difference. <laughs> yeah, what do you, what what like animal kingdom or not not king, life kingdom mm -hmm. do you? Okay, so there's. Oh, so I'm going to try. So there's the three kingdoms, right? There's like archaea, bacteria, um, and then there's like eukaryotes, which are like humans, and yeast mm -hmm. is a eukaryote. Ah. Oh, I thought That's it was Magic Kingdom, Animal Kingdom, and the other Disney Kingdom. Oh, my God. Oh, you've touched on something so special to me. I love Disney stuff so much. The Epcot Kingdom. <laughs> I Actually, I left that out, but when Suzanne told Did me she where she you? was from, she was like, it's near Disney. Wait, oh, my sister's there right now with the kids. I'm what? Just, yes, I'm stalking her on Instagram. There would be no talk about science now. <laughs> Let's go. I know. They're really cute kids, too. It's <laughs> um, But, yes, math and science already sound way more interesting than English class. I'm not going to lie to you. 
<laughs> like when they leave a comma out, there's no you know equation that's like, hey, you <laughs> forgot something. something. It's just like your English teacher is going to draw it in for you now. <laughs> I feel like the the whole first year that Suzanne and I started working together, we were really just trying to find some hybrid language in between mm. <laughs> where we could both yeah. live and understand each other. Yeah. yeah. And now, now it's like second nature, I think. Is it Klingon? Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does, and now you're on Star Trek. I didn't oh, tell her any of these there. things. This is amazing. <laughs> I think we're on the no, same radio wavelength or something. We're super on the same wavelength. No, but it's it's true. It really is. It's like finding it's like finding another language, and then um, I think that's my favorite part. Like when I was, I know that um, like there's probably grad students that are, are are listening, and when I was a grad student, right? I you know you don't imagine that you like when you get after you get your phd after you go and do these things like you learn so much like i think i used to have this idea right like you get your phd and then that's it you've learned everything and you just kind of just turn out mm. new knowledge from what you know but that's totally not it like you you spend a lot of time being confused and then you <laughs> learn totally new things so would you say that like having a growth mindset and um, anyone can feel free to pick yeah. this up, like having growth so like not being afraid to fail is probably more important than whatever base knowledge of your content that you acquire. Hundred percent. Okay. Yeah, I totally agree with that. That's so good to hear. Yeah, it's really. So I, um, Suzanne and I met each other at a reception on campus at the, at, on that campus that the vice president for research was having, and I heard her talk about what she did. And I made this beeline for her, and I was like, "I have the coolest thing. You have to work on this with me." <laughs> no, it was unbelievable, right? Because let's imagine that you're at a party, okay. and then right. you you tell people, right? And then you tell people, "Hey, I do math." Oh like, wow, I'm leaving that party. Right, right, exactly. So like, we a little bit joke, but the most common reaction to people hearing that you're that you do math is <laughs> oh my god i'm so bad at math like everybody starts yep. confessing how terrible they are and, <laughs> and then you feel then you feel awful and you want to apologize um right so it was super awesome to have somebody come over and be like and it was like the best thing i've ever heard was like, there, there's this paper and they have a model but i think they're wrong oh, and wow. that was it yeah, okay, yeah so you wanted to prove somebody wrong no, well, I wanted to find no, the no, truth. No, no. That's super gangster. No, I don't know. No, no, no. But it was, and I mean, and what they did, what they did. So let me just be clear, right? It's like absolutely like not wrong, but it's just incomplete. Like the mm -hmm. idea is that there's something that wasn't consistent with their model. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. that, right, that, that what they did is wrong. It just means that like there is certain context that like, and, I mean, models are only right like when their assumptions are all like are all being held, right? And so if you change one of the assumptions or if one of the assumptions, right, isn't always true, um, then then you need then you need to be careful. So it um, right, like if yeah. you want like the right model for the right question. Yeah. So this this thing that Suzanne and I have been working on recently, so I mentioned that these diseases are incurable, right? And mm -hmm. so one of the reasons that it was thought that they were incurable is when they make these big, long, linear aggregates. Those things are really stable and you can't break them up. So one of the ways that human diseases are transmitted is on surgical instruments when people have brain surgery. Uh -huh. So like the autoclave doesn't destroy these aggregates, oh, wow. for example, right? It's and scary. It's scary. Oh, um, 
And so Suzanne and I have been interested in a long time in trying to understand, like, okay, if you, if you make the mittens, how do you unfold and, and use right. it in the other way? And so we're trying to understand the forces that control that. And um, so we thought about this for a really, really long time, and we couldn't make any headway on it on either side. Mm -hmm. And um, I was, we had been talking and talking and I was away at a conference and I woke up like in the middle of the night and I was like, it's gotta be this. And I texted her and then oh she like wrote a model and she's like, that's it, that's what it is. And so, <laughs> so we have finally have this paper um, out uh, in review that describes that. And it was something that no one had ever thought about before. And I don't, we, we certainly wouldn't have ever figured it out in the lab if we hadn't been working with Suzanne on the model. So. Now, is that the same question that you approached her about when you first started working together, or is this a different one? No, it's okay. different. Okay. Yeah, it's different. Mm -hmm. So, can you just so like you had a eureka moment? Yeah, I don't. I don't know what. I mean, I I actually felt really stupid after that because after we <laughs> yes. sort of figured it out, I was like, oh my god, this is so obvious. Why did it take us so long to figure this out? But not only no, you, were, you weren't the only one who didn't figure it out. You were the first one to yeah. figure it out. Did you? Though, right? yeah. yeah. Did you feel that way? A hundred percent. No, no, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Because like... you like to me that's. I mean, right? I'm sure it's like anything. Like you learn how to ride a bike, and then you're like, well, riding a bike. Come on. How is that ever? But actually, it's even worse than that because it's not a physical action. It's just a thought that you have in your in your head. So I totally agree. It, and once we figured it out or once we, we came up with this plausibility, then you're like, oh, wow, all this other stuff makes sense mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. So oh. it's, it's, yeah, I, I would say that, um, like, it, that was one of the moments that was like a, a eureka moment, mm -hmm. like in the, the comic books or whatever, or in like mm -hmm. science like the wow. stories that we tell about science. So what did you have before bed that night? That, <laughs> Probably I'm, a drink. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you start having that same wine every night. <laughs> yeah. So can you explain so what you figured out? Yeah. So yes, I want you to do it. Cause right, I don't you know do it. I, no, no, yeah. I want you to do oh. it because I don't know that I can. <laughs> okay. So, so I mentioned when this thing changes shape, it, it associates with itself and makes this big complex, right? Okay. And so that the idea is what is the smallest complex that is irreversible, that can't go back the other way? Mm. And um, so the field had always thought that that was just a fixed size. And what we figured out was that it could be different sizes. And depending on what size it is, that could lead to reversibility. Okay. Um, so basically, if you could take one of these big aggregates and chew it down, um, it gets to a point where if you make one more cut in it, the whole thing falls apart. Oh. And, wow. and so how big that minimum size is basically determines whether when you're in an organism, if you can get to that point where it completely falls apart or not. Okay, so this is a kind of a step in the right direction of being able to break these things down. Exactly. That's okay. what we think and what we hope. Yeah. yeah it's like yeah. when you yeah. gain weight and like at a certain point you can't get back to a certain size. It's like that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Like the point of no return. Yeah. 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 I'm pretty That's sure my weight has only ever gone in one. Yeah. <laughs> well, isn't it isn't it a thing where like you can develop more fat cells but you can't un you can shrink them mm -hmm. but you can't yeah, undo them or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't feel qualified to comment on fat cells. I don't know know that part of biology. Um, The way that I think about it, I really like Trisha's explanation. So the way that I'm going to think about it is, or the way that I think about it um, is, okay, so every time I tell people about this, I feel like we go down the rabbit hole and it gets even more complicated, right? Because Trisha talked about how, right, there's like, um, whatever, like hat is the good shape and maybe mittens is the disease shape, but it's not just mittens. There's like tons mm-hmm. of different things. Like maybe socks are also bad. Like there's different mm-hmm. misfolded things that are bad. Mm-hmm. And so one of the, we didn't think that these different bad misfolded things could have different sort of like minimal stable sizes. Mm-hmm. So like if you imagine trying to give attributes to the to these different shapes, right? You can look at mittens and you can describe them in one way and you can look at socks and describe them a different way. Um, but they were different in a way that we didn't think to look at. And mm-hmm. that's the best I can come mm-hmm. up with. And it was I mean and it wasn't just us, but maybe maybe people didn't think that that difference could exist maybe just people didn't think well oh that surely couldn't be important um so it's one of those things that like um it only becomes important if you're trying to explain like these different shapes altogether like i think if you were just looking at one such Mm -hmm. shape right like then you wouldn't need to 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 look at this um at this other feature so it's very um yeah, it's very cool because it brings together a lot of, well, it helps resolve a lot of different confusing things that in the past didn't work. And now it's like, well, this is another tool. Maybe maybe now it'll, um, well, now some of those things make more sense in any case. Do, do you think that by the end of this, uh, you would be able to figure out where all my missing socks are? <laughs> I hope so, okay. because then I can find my missing socks. <laughs> So the, these different shapes that Suzanne's talking about, they lead to different diseases. Okay. So the, um, this whole family of diseases is called prion diseases. And some of them uh, lead to dementia. Others, there's this disease called fatal familial insomnia, which Whoa. is associated with uh, folks who can't go to sleep anymore and then oh end up God. dying. Right, But it's all caused by the same protein, but it's just folded in a different way okay all of those diseases are caused by the same protein Mm -hmm. how many different proteins do we have is that a number that we know someone knows i don't know it's a lot (laughs) is it like tens of thousands okay do you know susan oh no i don't i don't i also don't feel even like qualified to guess because people talk (laughs) about like all no no because people talk about like alternative splicing and all these things so it's like it's huge i don't even i don't know But what I do know is that um, I always have to be careful when I talk about this work because in mammals, right, Mm -hmm. all of these are terrible diseases. But in yeast, right, they're actually not harmful to the yeast. So I I tend to get excited and not talk about it. And then, Uh, right, and then, you know, then you throw out, like, fatal familial insomnia and everyone's like, oh, God, that sounds awful. (laughs) It does. Really, we're excited about. Right. Well, that's a conflict you have in research. If I may... There is an even cooler named prion disease than oh, fatal familial insomnia. No, no, my favorite, and it's not in, in humans, is um, is chronic wasting disease. Oh, yeah. um, please tell us. Please tell us. Yeah. What is it? Um, Go it ahead. It's a prion disease that's in, in elk and in mm-hmm. deer. Mm-hmm. And um, I I mean, I it, it is in places in the U.S. And we cannot, my understanding is that we cannot get it from eating elk like mm-hmm. as opposed to say mad cow disease which 
I think we could get. But I just, I mean, it, one, it's terrible disease. I know it's really awful, but I, I'm not at all musically talented in any way. But, man, if I could make a band, I would name it Chronic Wasting Disease. I just think that's the greatest <laughs> name of anything in the world. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. So, so we, these ahead, a lot ahead. of animals, uh, besides people, have these diseases, and some of them can be transmitted from one species okay. to another. So, there is a human form of mad cow disease. It's called new variant CJD, okay. um, and that's believed to have been transmitted from cattle to humans oh. through food. Um, and another one is scrapie in sheep. So they they will rub their legs up against a fence or something, and actually the the wool will be scraped off. Um, and it's believed that mad cow disease uh, in England, there was a big outbreak, and they believe it was because it came from sheep and Ooh, transmitted uh, into cows. So there, there are these examples of things crossing what's called the species barrier. But chronic wasting disease seems to be a strong barrier for transmission to humans, mm. which is good because there are parts of the U.S. where a um, large fraction of the herds are infected so like colorado and wisconsin like 80 percent of the herds are infected oh with God. chronic wasting what disease. happens to them do they, they die yeah all they these diseases are fatal so yeah, they well. they kind of waste away they just get okay. emaciated and, yeah. and eventually die wow that's terrible mm -hmm. how common are these diseases in humans they're pretty rare in okay. humans um yeah fortunately yeah, yeah. in humans do, yeah do we know why not me but when I say we, I mean you. <laughs> I bet you all do. Do people in general know why they seem more common? Like it sounds like that chronic wasting disease is really common. So like, why is that more common than yeah? So it's, in it's humans? so the the prions when they're misfolded are really stable. Like I mentioned, mm. that it can be transmitted on surgical uh, instruments. In it's believed that it's. Uh, transmitted through the environment. So mm. uh, it's found in urine and um, uh, mammalian milk. And so it's, and because the animals are all in the same area, it's believed to be easily transmitted through the environment in that way. Okay. Wow. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so I can't get any of these by eating the Impossible Burger? Right. No, you okay. eat mm -hmm. all those burgers. But yeah. yeah, so yeah, like, can you get these by eating m meat? So it's believed to be that that has happened in the past. Wow. It's not, uh, it's not incredibly common, and it, it's, there's not a huge risk, but there, there oh, are wow. cases that people have believed to contracted through consumption. So that, And I always... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I always feel obligated um, to, to point out, because people do get like kind of nervous, but like um, <laughs> after, after the British outbreak, and this is now, I mean, for truth, my understanding was it, after that, there were many changes made yeah. to like the, the food um, mm -hmm. system to mm -hmm. prevent that. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of screening that goes on of cattle now to, to make sure that it doesn't uh, make it into the uh, food sources. Right. So the other thing that we haven't talked about, I think, that is interesting uh, about this is that this process of how the proteins change shape for prions is also associated with other diseases in humans. So like Alzheimer's disease, Huntington's disease, Parkinson's disease. These are all in type 2 diabetes. These are all called what's called protein misfolding diseases. Mm. And so they each have a different protein changing shape. So it's different than the prions, um, okay. but these things change shape as well. 
Um, the difference between those diseases and prions is that prions are infectious, so they can spread from one person to another, uh, and the other diseases are not thought through natural roots to be infectious. Okay. Wow. Yeah, um, I wanted to go back and talk about your lab methods. Mm -hmm. so you said you use baker's yeast. Yes. So are you sourcing that from a local bakery or? No, so we, <laughs> we don't. Don't worry, Amherst, you can eat all the bread in town. Um, we, uh, no, we use lab strains of oh, okay. baker's yeast, okay. yeah, so. It would be funny if that ended up at the Black Sheep, though. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Black Sheep's a deli in town, Susan. Yeah. No, I got it. I laughed anyway. I figured I would, I would be part of the joke. Appreciate you. <laughs> so so what do you do when you like in your lab experiments like what's the process like are you yeah yeah so so it depends what what we're looking at um so we can tag the prion proteins with uh the, another protein which is called green fluorescent protein it was derived from jellyfish and so we can make the protein glow uh under fluorescent light and so we can actually watch inside the cell whether it's which form it's in, whether it's soluble in the normal state or aggregated in this prion state. Okay. Um, so we can monitor that in real time. We've you know, done experiments to actually watch it change shape in real time. Um, so we can do wow. those kind of things. Um, we can pop the yeast cells open and get the protein out and study it in a test tube. Um, and we do that sometimes. Uh -huh. um, so all that's happening inside a sing did you say yeast is single cell? Is it that is part single of why cell. It's helpful? Mm -hmm. So you're watching that all happen inside a yeast mm -hmm. cell. Yep. Is it more or less fun than watching water boil? It's definitely <laughs> oh my God, way so more much fun. More. Really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, does it, it sounds happen, cool. Does it happen fast? Like, yeah. Does everything move? Quickly? Yeah, it like, moves yeah. really fast. Um, you know, you can you can watch it change. These experiments we did, we we had uh, yeast cells mate. Um, and we had the protein in one form in one cell and then the other form in the other cell. And when we made it, we could watch it change Whoa. when they mixed together. It was like a and little was, protein rave. Yes. That's exactly. So <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And so it was like in minutes you could see it switch, wow. which is really, it was really amazing to watch. Wow. Why is Dead Mouse gonna have a new video? It's just gonna be proteins mating. <laughs> be so into it. You're listening to Live Talk with Laura on 91.1 FM WMUA Amherst. Today we're talking to Trisha Sirio, Suzanne Cindy, and Ange Buxton. You can find Live Talk with Laura on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. Okay, jumping back into it. If, if I may, one of the other things that is really cool, like even as cool as like prions are, yeast, like just by themselves, are super cool. Because Trisha said she mated them, right? So these guys, again, I know anyone like who knows biology, this won't be like deeply exciting to you, but yeast can reproduce sexually or asexually. Whoa. I was going to ask about that because right. I was like, I thought yeast didn't have sex. <laughs> but I guess no, they do. They, they do whatever both. they want. Yeah. They do, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so yeast are really cool. And now as a math person, I'm sorry, I have to throw in another thing. And it should have, I should have said it earlier back when we talked about all these different diseases and different organisms. This is where math is really cool because there's probably not, I guess I could be wrong, but there may be like some biologists in the world that can really study in their lab all these different like organisms. But one of the powers of like math is we can take, like we can take, 
um, a model that they did in one system and we can try to understand it in another system. Like it, in principle, if, I mean, and there's differences of course, but in principle, like if we have the equations that we think are talking about the proteins the right way, we can try it out in really different systems and really different scales. And so that's one of the things that I just want to put in a plug because everybody likes biology. But people don't like math. So. <laughs> I like math. Susan. <laughs> I it's like, like math, a too. role playing for proteins. It's like virtual <laughs> oh reality. Absolutely. That's yeah. so dope. Is it make everybody just watch episode. it. It's like the Truman Show for protein. <laughs> watch it in this environment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That is really cool. I'm curious, are these um, collaborations between mathematicians and biologists common? You know, yeah, I'm curious. I don't think so. What do you think, Susan? Yeah, I would say, I, I think that, I, I mean, it is not, let me pause and say, it is not uncommon. Like, it's not like we're the only people in the universe yeah. that do this. But I would say, um, I would say it's not as common as maybe I would, you you might think because it, it seems like there's a lot of really natural um, reasons. I definitely feel like um, not just between math and biology, but I'll maybe say I feel like there's a much bigger push, like it, among you know more say recently for people to work across like disciplines and try to um, try to bridge these gaps. And I, so in that way, I think that in all areas of science probably there's a lot more uh interdisciplinary interactions than than there used to be and um i do think that it's one of the things that does make it hard and maybe why it's something that is is sort of more recent is again you have to be really um for lack of a better word you have to feel really dumb for a long time mm -hmm. um because there's a lot that that you don't know you have to like i said you have to ask a lot of questions that you know, in principle, everybody else knows. Oh, but I also, t here's what I tell math people, because that are, that are like going to go into these things. I'm like, you guys, everybody else hates math. <laughs> you, will, you, you will get such a pass for asking the dumbest questions <laughs> because you know math. Yeah, right? you get because to be no, the hero. Nobody will, yeah. You get, well, nobody wants to ask a dumb question, but like, or I'm, I'm putting this like in quotes because I think there's really like, if you're inquisitive and you're trying to learn, that's great. That's not a dumb question, but like, for, but a question that everyone else in the room knows except for you. But like, if you're a math person, then I feel like there's this idea that's like, well, listen, they know math. It's okay. <laughs> they're, they're, they're not grossly incompetent. Um, they can co sign your, okay. You got it. Good job. But I do think that's a little bit what makes it difficult is like you you do. Um, it takes a long time. Yeah. One time I was going to give a talk somewhere in a in a in a place that was much more sort of on the physical sciences side. And I was putting slides together and it was something that Suzanne and I were working on in the time. And um, she said to me, you know, I, I feel like I have to tell you this before you go. And I was like, yeah. what? <laughs> she said. They're going to think you're dumb because you're a biologist. Oh, my God. There are these weird biases, though. It's really interesting. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So, Suzanne, I'm going to push back on you about the type of collaboration that we have. So so I believe that right there's a bunch of mathematicians that model biological processes. But how common do you think it is? 
for people to work closely together in the iterative way that we do like oh this is missing what what can you do and then you tell me something's missing what can you do okay so that is true i do think that is more rare yet so that's true okay so i will trisha's point is not only right is she a biologist that works with a math person and me a math person that works on biologist but like we get in it right it's not like i take data that somebody else did you know maybe a long time ago and try to study it like we're we're in it like we're developing experiments we're thinking about it so that that is true i think that this kind of like very interconnected iterative uh, relationship is especially rare but i think even just like yeah that's true good Good, good on recognizing our specialness. <laughs> You're like, we're more special. Than yes, that. we are. <laughs> It'd be like if Biggie and Tupac made a song together. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Oh, so I'm curious, what was that first problem that you worked on together that that inspired your collaboration to begin so, with? Do you remember? Mm-hmm. You want to yeah, do I do. <laughs> well, I will. Yes, I will. And then you can correct me. So okay. I, I'm going to also tantalize all of you by saying we have still not solved that problem although right so we did get a science paper we (laughs) did get a science paper no 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 we got a science paper and we solved a cool problem which i think that combined with this latest thing i feel might solve our original problem so Mm -hmm. the the idea was so there's these okay once again, guys, we're going to go down the rabbit hole, okay? So we talked about how there's, like, mittens and socks, right? There's different misfolded shapes. Can those shapes exist together, oh. right? Or if you look at a disease, is a disease, is it always all gloves or all socks, mm-hmm. right? And so that's a, that's a big question, and we're trying to figure out, like, how that how coexistence could happen and under what conditions. Okay, is that fair, Trisha? It is. Wow. Okay, good. And this, so if I can, from the biological point of view, one of the reasons this is so important is um, as people have tried to develop medicine to treat these diseases, what they find is, you know, you give this drug to an animal or a person and um, the disease changes. And so one of the ideas is that the drug hit one form and not the other, like the sock, but not the mitten, right? And so so if it's just one thing, like when you get a virus, there's just like one virus. But because these things can be in so many different shapes, it's hard to get them all. Yeah, It's like one of my drawers in my dresser. Like I got got socks, I got shirts, I got, they're all misfolded and they're all shoved in the same (laughs) drawer. If I only fold the shirts, I still got some messed up pants in there. Exactly. Yeah. I see. I see. I see. Okay. Interesting. I'm curious. Um, so, do most people studying prion diseases use yeast? Is that like a standard practice? No. So, actually, um, the model system that people have used to study in the lab was first um, mice and then hamsters. Okay. And so, yeast prions were discovered sort of when I was at the end of graduate school. And so when I started my postdoc, I was like sort of in the first generation of people who were working on yeast prions. Okay. And right after I started my 
postdoc, uh, the Nobel Prize was given for the prion concept, this idea that proteins could, because this is, this is one thing we haven't talked about. This is not normal for proteins. Uh, so normally yeah. proteins just fold into one thing. So these proteins are unusual in that they can fold into multiple shapes. Right. Wow. So that concept, um, Stan Prusner got the Nobel Prize for that okay. right after I started my postdoc. Okay, so that's a mm. relatively, that's something people have only understood recently. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm getting old, but okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I would also say there is, um, I mean, this is, I always feel like this is a little bit more like speculative, but there are, are thoughts that these prions might not all be bad right mm -hmm. and that they're because one like a big question is well if these were so bad right and so destructive and so harmful to to organisms and and i'll go ahead like a, an interesting point about these prion diseases right so if you have like like a virus that infects you right it's this thing from outside your body that comes inside your body but a lot of these prion diseases the initial misfolding happens like within the host Mm -hmm. So it's like a host disease, right? So you could say, how did that make it to today? And so there's mm -hmm. there's ideas that um, these might not all be bad. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and some of these diseases are um, genetic, so they run in families, like fatal familial insomnia. That's uh, that's a genetic disease, so they run it will run in families, and that's because. They have a change in the sequence of the protein that makes it more likely that it'll misfold on its own. Right. And that happens in Alzheimer's and Huntington's disease right. as well. Right. And so if you had a situation where that was happening and it caused some sort of advantage, we may be less likely to mm -hmm. notice that or realize that that's what's happening? Or, or, or it might survive in, you know, over the course of human evolution. It wouldn't okay. be selected evolution, against, yeah. right? Right. Okay. Yeah. And a lot of these diseases are age-dependent, so they don't appear until late in life, and that's okay. past our reproductive age, right? So that's another reason that mm. it might uh, have survived. Okay. Interesting. That makes me think of kind of like sickle cell. Where yeah, right. it has a compensatory or positive aspect to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm yeah. talking about, Ange? Nope. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I just I want to not just reference that and then not. So like sickle cell anemia is when yeah. your blood cells is it just red blood cells or yes are mm -hmm. shaped like a sickle, sickle. like a C instead shape of instead okay. of brown and they mm -hmm. get stuck and claw yeah. and it causes problems. But people who it's a recessive gene, right? Yes. And so if you only have one of that recessive gene, you just kind of have like kidney bean shaped mm -hmm. cells and that prevents you from getting malaria. So it's actually Whoa. an advantage to have just one of those. But if you have both, then it creates a lot of health problems. So you might not know this, but that is a protein misfolding problem. Oh, too. really? Yeah. And it's related to the the type of protein misfolding problems that Suzanne and I work on. Oh, wow. So these are all these proteins that misfold these aggregates that I mentioned, they're called amyloid aggregates. And okay. so that is the process how which they're assembled, the sickle cell hemoglobin protein does it the same thing. Ah, wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. So nature versus nurture, who's going to win that rap battle? <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's a big one. I think it's, I think it depends on what your nurture is. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. That's a whole. That's yeah. kind of an emerging a, field too, right? Yeah. Epigenetics, right? Yeah, that's absolutely. Like kind of the, oh, yeah, how yeah, those yeah. are interacting, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. So Suzanne, you you do, or you used to do a little work on that, you know, this um, idea in the era of genomics, people thought we would be able to explain a lot more diseases just looking at mutations than we actually oh, can. Yeah. It's because there are other things that influence, you know, just because you have a mutation doesn't mean that's going to lead to disease. Hmm. No, absolutely. And it's, I, I mean, it's, it's, it is, it just feels like with all of biology, right? Like, again, it's like going down the rabbit hole. Like things are, I mean, both we're learning a lot, right? We know a lot more. So I don't, work um in in this area but like but for example um we used to think right we're going to figure out right the human genome and we're going to figure this out and then we're going to be able to cure all disease right yeah but it's but it's really complicated right that things are 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 much more complex than than we thought and um it's i don't know it's it's very interesting it just feels like so i i don't know trisha if this is something that you you hear but in in mathematics right a lot of times or I, I would say among the mathematicians that are interested in biology, there's this phrase that says, like, biology is the new physics. Um, I like because, <laughs> yeah, I like it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, so there is, there's a second part to that. Let me see if I can, oh, gosh, I'm going to try to find it. But it's, um, it's so basically, like, bi biology is mathematics, new physics, right? And uh, mathematics is biology's, like, I don't know, like, new microscope. But um, That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but it's true because so many, and, it, and I like the reciprocal nature of that because the part that we haven't talked uh, sort of as much about, we've talked a lot about, like, the biology, but in talking to Trisha, um, I've come up with things that are inspiring new mathematics, which are, you know, in principle related to the um, to the underlying biological system, but are just like really, really cool new kinds of mathematical models. And it's stuff that I don't think I would have just thought about on my own. And I think that's kind of the idea. So a lot of so now a you're going to blame me for, for torturing the next generation of <laughs> yeah. students with your new math. Yeah, that's right. Um, no, but it's, it is interesting because I think, like, there's a lot of really beautiful mathematics, right, that came out of trying to understand things in physics. Like, I, I'll say things like, I don't know, quantum mechanics, stuff that I don't know a ton about. But I feel like that's what's happening now with biology. There's a lot of new mathematical and statistical um, tools that are coming out of trying to understand, right, all these, like, different genomics things, right, trying to understand all these, like, single-cell experiments. It's, I, I'm sure every generation says this, but I feel like this is the coolest time to be doing science <laughs> in the history of, like, humanity. I heard people are doing math in their own garages. They're making crystal math. And <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. Hilarious. We have to, yeah, we, I, I will say, I mean, you're quite funny, but that, that is not the first math-math comparison that I've heard. <laughs> hey, well, you said the thing, mathematics is biology's new microscope, and I felt really high, and I am not. <laughs> I was, my head hurts. I don't know <laughs> what is happening. But so that's the, yeah. new, the new tool that's really being yeah. used to understand biology. I'm curious. Yeah. Um, so I do computer simulations for my work in geoscience, um, and I'm just getting into, I'm doing things that are so computationally expensive that I have to use a supercomputer. So do you, like the models that you run, are they things that you can run on your desktop or using supercomputers? 
It, it depends. It depends. So um, some of the things I can run, and then the thing that I always make sure of, like, and I, I tell my students too, right, is before we throw something on a, a super, like, giant machine, we need to, like, prototype it and, and make, sure things, um, make sure things work. And so actually one of the um, – actually the, the science paper sort of actually – I don't know if that was our first or second paper together, Tricia, but that involved doing a um, basically these simulations where I would generate um, a yeast colony, right? Like a, it was like individual yeast cells, each of which inside of them have their own composition of, um, of misfolded proteins. Wow. And so you're tracking them in, um, in time inside individual cells. And that was the other, so that's kind it's, of a, a hefty. <laughs> and then we were also doing like parameter sweeps where we were varying some of these different biochemical um, rates to see what happens. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess this is to, to this point, like this kind of work really needs, um, needs some serious computational power. So I think that's the other piece that's important too, right, is you have your mathematics and you need to study these models and sometimes, yeah, sometimes you can do it on a computer. But if, um, if in our first, the first paper, we were really trying to understand the heterogeneity that was emerging through cells that are growing and dividing. And yeah, there we needed, we needed some hefty computing. So I guess the other thing that is really helpful is to learn to like to code. So now I have a question for you, <laughs> Laura. Do, do you like coding? Do you, do you enjoy it? Um, I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm learning a lot about computation, and I'm taking a Python class this semester. Cool. So I'm enjoying Good for you. that. It's funny to be in a freshman class after being in college. So, uh, there's a lot of um, cologne that I have to deal with. <laughs> 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 but the, the, the coding cologne. is fun, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like coding when it works. <laughs> Which yeah. means, yeah, I don't think I'm all the way there. <laughs> um, so with this in mind, like, I definitely, um, I've been introducing my students to, like, fun ways to learn coding like code combat and stuff like that and even though i'm an english teacher i feel like coding is like the language of the future and a lot of my students are bilingual already and i'm trying to explain coding to them as in like you're just learning like a third language basically i'm like you'll be trilingual it'll be fire um but oh hearing God, you guys say so this cool. right and like hearing you guys say this like it makes i mean i'm probably gonna play some of this for them just to be like look like there's stuff you can do with coding beyond, you know, making websites and, and you know, what, whatever. They, they, they asked me if emojis were coding. I was like, I don't even know the answer to that. <laughs> um. so, so if you're going to play this for students, I feel like I have to out Suzanne. So Suzanne is this, like, rock star mathematician. No kidding. But she can't do Trisha's arithmetic. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Are you serious? It's because they didn't have Common Core when she was. Let's slow down. I think can't do arithmetic is a gross exaggeration. I am I've heard you say bad. that. <laughs> yeah. I've heard you well, say me, that. I can't do let arithmetic. Me give, <laughs> let me give some context. Okay, it yes, is, explain. So, give some context. So, like, okay, in my, 
in my in my world, you get to the arithmetic, and then that's the boring part. Hey, I'm going right? to fast forward this. We're not listening to this part. <laughs> Don't listen. Don't play this to your students. Don't play this to your students, right? But I'm like, whatever. That's the boring part. Like, there, there is this, there's all these jokes about, like, mathematicians being, like, really impractical, right? Because we, we don't really care about the exact answer. We just want to know that there's a way to get there. Cool. So we've been chatting for a while, and I think um, it would be a good time to move on to the final segment of the show, but I want to just open it up before we do that. If there's anything about your research or your life as a biologist or a mathematician that you want to talk about that we haven't touched on. So I want to say um, that I was the first person in my family to go to college, and I had no idea that I would end up here. And so I, and I don't know, Suzanne's not the first in her family to go to college, but I don't know if she thought she would be a mathematician. So no, I, I think there's I so not. much pressure on kids now to like figure out what they want to be really young, and it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, nice. So just find something no. you're excited about and do it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I'll add, I do, I, man, I feel like when I was a student, right, you would, like, look at professors, and they seemed, right, like these people that were so above you, right, and, like, I, so I was not the first person in my family to go to college, but I'll say both, both my parents were immigrants, they were each, I'm pretty sure the first person in their families to graduate from high school, mm -hmm. um, my mom's family when they immigrated, um, so I, I work in Merced, California. Um, this is if you've ever eaten almonds in your life, there is an 80% chance they came from the county that I live in. So there's a lot of agriculture. And my mom, when her family immigrated, they, they worked in dairies. They worked in the fields. I mean, they were, they were farm workers. So I, I want to encourage people that come from backgrounds where they feel like maybe the, your professors are so far away from that. I just want to say they there you might be surprised and um you should try even though it's a little hard to think about them maybe as they're they're also people and one of the ways that you find that out i i try to say this to all like undergrads is um go try to go to office hours like go just talk to your professors mm -hmm. you um I don't know, you might be surprised by um, what they have to share and what they can help you out with. And it's, uh, yeah, we're not so scary. That's such good <laughs> advice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you have a bad experience at one office hours, don't let yeah, that. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's Just don't go to that person. Right. You might go to somebody right. else's. <laughs> right. They're people, too. Listen, right. we've exactly. all had people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's great. I really like that. Um, cool. So I think we're ready now to move on to the last part of the show, which is a game that I invented called GTA. Oh. Guess that acronym. Oh, my God. I thought you were roping me into another round of grow that artichoke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you are so ready. <laughs> uh, so the way this game works is that Trisha and Suzanne have provided me with some acronyms from their field, and we're going to give those to Ange to try to guess. Oh, boy. All right. <laughs> Okay, so your first acronym, Ange, are you ready? No, yes. Okay, your first acronym is PRP. Oh. I'm going to say the R is lowercase and the P's are uppercase. Oh, that's so. It's that's uppercase P, lowercase R, uppercase P. Oh, wow, that's so easy. It's definitely purple red people. <laughs> oh, my God. Am I close? So correct. Oh, no. Oh, 
thing. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that to me. I'm sensitive. Is that correct? No, that is incorrect. Okay. <laughs> do you want to tell us what it really yeah, means? Yeah, it stands for prion protein. Pre- prion pro- I drive a prion. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think we've, it's a hybrid. We've, we've talked about what I would say explain what that is, but we've talked about it. Okay. I'm giving it my all for this one. Is there okay, another okay. one? All right, here okay, we go. Yeah. You got another one. It's S D S. Oh, so that's so, so that soup. That's uh, when they're like, when I say, "What's the soup of the day?" and then they're like, "Oh, it's lobster bisque," and I'm like, "Oh, so that soup." <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it? incorrect. Oh. Uh, <laughs> it stands for sodium dodecyl sulfate, which is one of the ways we can tell if the protein is misfolded or in its normal form. Oh, the, the sodium d- d- dodecyl so sulfate. So is it a ca- it's chemical? It's a detergent, actually. Oh. It's like soap. It's a different kind of soup. Soap. <laughs> if you said soap, soap you would have oh. been so close. <laughs> Wait, so how do you how do you use that to tell? Yeah, so the 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 misfolded form of the protein in these aggregates, um, SDS can't disrupt it, whereas normal protein folds, SDS can break it up. Oh. So it's called SDS resistant. Oh, so, so that's if how you we put know. that in, okay, yep. interesting. Mm-hmm. Cool. Huh. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay, we have two more acronyms. These okay. came from Suzanne. All right. Hello. O D E. Only dudes eat. <laughs> it's a it's it's a golfing restaurant. <laughs> I like I like your your answer. It is it is not the correct one, unfortunately. Um, so ODE stands for ordinary differential equation, um, and it is just a type of um, mathematical equation that you use to study how quantities change in time, um, and it is one of the types of mathematical tools that um, uh, I use to model prions, but that people use to model um, all different kinds of things. Cool. Okay, we got one last uh, acronym. It's C-M-E. Oh, definitely the country music entertainment. The industry is silent. Yeah. (laughs) That that also sounds really good. It is, um, it's the chemical master equation, which is yet another type of equation um, that we use when we are, um, again, studying the time varying evolution of a bunch of different um, biochemical species. Yeah, uh, I don't, uh, I don't remember that song. (laughs) <laughs> it's like the the yeast rave party. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's the yeast. Perfect. I got the horses in the back. All right. <laughs> nice. Cool. Well, that that concludes our show today. We did it. Thank you so much for um, joining me in the studio, Trisha and Ange, and on the phone, uh, Suzanne. Yay. Thanks so much. It was a lot Yay. of fun. Yeah, thank you so this much for having me. This was fun. Yeah. Cool. Thanks Great. for having me. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. Okay, thanks. Talk to you tomorrow, Suzanne. Uh, <laughs> yep. Okay. Hasta luego. Bye.
You just listened to Lab Talk with Laura on 91.1 FM WMUA Amherst. My guests today were Trisha Serio and Suzanne Cindy. My co-host was Ange Buxton. You can find Lab Talk with Laura on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. The jingle at the beginning of our show was written and produced by Matt Woodland. Online hosting of Lab Talk with Laura is supported by the Emmerich Lab in the Polymer Science Department. Thank you so much for listening. Keep it locked for WMUA News coming right up.